in these emerging markets in where we are living here in Southeast Asia, you only can leverage the strength of a company when you work participative as a team. So the silo working is not work any. I think even in Europe and in the US, the silo working is running out. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now, check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Karsten Lay is the co-founder of Asia PMO, a leading digital transformation and agile consulting company specializing in implementing OKRs and other revolutionary project management techniques in Southeast Asia. In this first episode of a 12-part series on Voices of OKR, Karsten and I discuss the differences between customer data and feedback, how to begin using OKRs via a task force, a command and control culture versus participative culture, and OKRA, objectives, key results, and actions, and more. Let's jump in. Well, Carson, thanks for joining us on the show today. I'm really excited to talk about OKRs, especially from a pro. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? Because I think it's important for the audience to know who they're talking to, or at least listening to, let's say. Yes, my name is Carson Lay. I'm originally from Germany. Um, since eight years, I'm in Vietnam. I was working uh, three years in a finance company or in a bank. First as a project manager in PMO, and then I established a customer experience department. And from there, I moved on to Lazada, which is an Alibaba company. It's the biggest e-commerce in Southeast Asia, where I was two years in charge of customer experience and customer service. And because Alibaba, Lazada, they are startups, we started to do OKRs there and they didn't do a very good change management. They just flew over from Singapore and told us to do OKR. So the first time I got in touch with OKRs, I really hated it. And I didn't understand why we have to move from KPIs to OKRs. So I'm maybe a little bit in the same position like some of the listeners, probably. And then after I left Lazada, I started, uh, me and my partner, we started our consulting company, Asia PMO, with project management consulting, experience management, customer employee experience management, and also OKR agile consulting. And we did now 20 plus implementations in Southeast Asia, mainly in Vietnam and Myanmar, to help companies to run OKRs, both in startups, but also in some more traditional companies. So your background is customer experience. And when I was thinking through what that means, there are really two touch points for customer experience, right? Product and people. So how would you say an organization develops that experience that leaves that customer with a positive impression of their brand? Yeah, I think there are three things, actually, product, people, and processes. And the most biggest problem in companies is mainly processes, right? So because products are normally pretty good, people can be trained, but processes are completely horrible. And so the thing is, what we what we um, advise to our customers is really look into your data, look into the feedback you have from customers. 
And normally everybody, every company has. And just get us the top three, top five complaints, the top three, top five issues on your app, the top three, top five issues with your staff. And then start fixing like a continuous improvement process. Don't try to make like a big bang that from tomorrow on you are super customer experience focused because it's change management and it will not work. But you have to prove your people inside the company and the customers outside the company that you start caring about customer. And the first part of caring is listening. So whatever data you have already, please look inside, collect it and start improving things where customers are not happy about it. So kind of to get more concrete on this, right, on the listening aspect, collecting this data, what are some specific or different aspects that should be taken into consideration as organizations are looking to improve their overall customer experience and that relationship to the brand? The first thing we have to look uh, in the difference between data and feedback. Right? I mean, we have a lot of what is happening data I mean, people are rating your app with 3.5. People are calling into your call center or using your chat a lot because they don't probably find the information they need or they have some additional question. This is normally the what, right? And this data you should already have. Now, the next step where we really need feedback from people is the why, where you should make surveys, where you could meet customers. I know a lot of online companies don't want to meet customers anymore, but actually in Lazada, we were even running customer focus groups with 15 people in the room, which was a little bit old style, but it gave us a lot of why insights, why people yeah. are struggling, why people are not purchasing, why people are going to the competition and so on. So it's really important to enrich the data with real feedback from people. You can call them, you can chat with them, you can meet them, you can send out surveys, whatever gets you closer to the deeper understanding part. Right. So basically, if we were to summarize, you were saying not only do you need to know what is going on in terms of that experience, you need to know why people are either interacting or not interacting with the brand in whatever ways. So yes. it's that and combination of answering those questions. Yeah. And you okay. have to, you know, for example, that your app is rated 3.5 but you don't know why your app is rated 3.5, for example. Yeah. So right. you have to know right. why some people say four or five, but a majority of people says two to three in a one to five. Right. rating. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, how do you know what exactly to improve? Right. Because yes. you don't know what they're thinking. That makes sense. And, and the problem is really are the people in the middle. I mean, people who give you a three rating first, normally these people don't give you a rating. So people mm. with three rating are very seldom. Because these are people in the middle. They don't care. They don't give you a good rating or a bad rating. And normally they do not give you any feedback or they won't call. And the moment they see something cheaper or a little bit better, they jump to the competition. Because these are people who are, who are not fans and these are people who are not really pissed off customers. But this is like the majority, like almost 50% of your customers are maybe in the middle. And a lot of companies don't know nothing about them. Yeah, they either know about the churn or they know about, let's say, the super fans, right? Because they'll get feedback from the super fans no matter what they do. Yes. So then professionally, it sounds, I mean, you've had quite a, a very, it feels like a very decorated career. And then most recently, you did that transition from customer experience, of which you do a lot, some consulting for now, to objectives and key results. What made you decide, since you had kind of a 
poor introduction, if you will, to OKRs. What made you decide to make that transition? I mean, the decision was very easy because of the need of the market. But on the other hand, when when we got in touch more closer with the methodology and we read it, and we are also running our own startup, by the way. I mean, Asia PM is a startup. We first tried it ourselves and we realized, especially in a very vibrant environment like Southeast Asia, where things are changing very fast, a three months planning is pretty ideal. And we see that this very rigid six to 12 months planning doesn't work anymore. And the other thing we see is also when I started to work for Lazada in my own startup and things got a little bit more agile and a little bit more let's say, democratic in the working style. This is also something where OKR helps a lot on the employee experience because OKRs are participative. OKRs are bottom-up communication. OKRs are where the top bosses first propose and people can still discuss. OKRs is also very democratic in a sense that we have a very clear weekly tracking by values. You cannot get screwed up by your boss if he has a good day or a bad day. Right. I mean, there's a lot of lot of good things, especially now for millennial Gen Z, which where we are working on an employee experience where OKR helps a lot. So we see the demand uh, from these new generations that they actually want a working environment with something driven by OKRs rather than KPS. So, you know, let's touch. There's two points that I'd like to extract from that. The first is you had mentioned as you were talking that the six to 12 month planning cycle is just simply doesn't work anymore in today's environment. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, now now with COVID is is pretty clear. I mean, things can crash very, very fast. We are we are living here in Southeast Asia in markets with four to six percent growth rates. But but also with with new regulations which are coming very fast, new opportunities which are coming very fast, right? We see now, especially also after COVID, the last two or three months, more and more traditional companies, let's say tool, we have we have one client here in Vietnam, they do tool distribution. We had a company in Myanmar, they actually come from a instant noodle factory and did their delivery business and they wanted to move their delivery business into OKR to make it ready for e-commerce business. Uh, because they also said, I mean, first, People get very demotivated if one leader decides on the beginning of the year and says, that's what we are doing the next 12 months. And it's very intransparent because the KPIs are just broken down and very siloed. And the second thing is um, that we saw that OKRs is much more participative, like people want to work nowadays. And it's the same topic like in HRL, actually, that in these emerging markets in where we are living here in Southeast Asia, you only can leverage the strength of a company when you work participative as a team. So the silo working is not working. I think even in Europe and in the US, the silo working is running out. So can you kind of delve deep? Because we had previously talked about the customer experience and you need to know the what and you need to know the why. In the same way, I'm imagining when you're entering an engagement with a new company, you're trying to find out why exactly are you trying to implement OKRs? Because as you've kind of touched upon, it it requires a, a greater amount of change than just understanding the framework. 
Why are the organizations that you're working with choosing to adopt these OKRs? I mean, it sounds like they want outcomes. Obviously, everyone's talking about that. But what are their specific reasons? We we found a lot of misconceptions there, which 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 kept us a little bit straddling. I know I was surprising. So we had we had two three companies where the CEO said, um, the CEO and the CEO was not micromanaging anymore. She, he was a little bit away from the company already, right? He was more in the political management in the company, and he said. I, I want to run OKR that was in Myanmar in a, in a technology company uh, because I will want more participation from the teams. I have really good people, but I see that two or three people on the top are controlling everything and it's not very participative. The problem in this company, when we implemented OKRs, these two, three people who were a little bit on the old staff management side blocked completely the implementation. And they see really? under and the see of course we, because we try to take power away from them because OKR makes things very transparent and you go more mm. on department and team level. So it cannot be that the vice CEO has to approve every little step anymore because then you don't get autonomy in teams and you don't achieve the results. In two, three companies we really run into the issue that the CEO said, Okay, I need to modernize my company, I need to empower the people. I need that the, as at least the middle management speaks up, has ideas, and is more participative. But then the 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 other C levels or like the vice CEO were a little bit um, almost stopping the process on the way. Yeah, and there we had then discussions. I mean, what is very important for us now after we had that one or two times that we really have a full alignment on the C levels, on the cultural change on the implication of the transparency, which implies that we take a little bit away from power from people who were the sole decision makers, we need an alignment on that. If we don't have to align it, we cannot go on anymore. So to that end, right, like it, it sounds like they had a lot of power at some point and they f they're, they're f fearful, right, in the transition of adopting OKR so that that power is removed. But you know, how then do you convince someone who had a very parochial style? Because we can delve into this topic. Like I imagine Vietnam, Southeast Asia as a whole, there's a lot of like a cultural rootedness in mm. more of a command and control type of structure. What then would be the allure or the reason why they may say, you know what? I, I hear what you say. Like instead of having the power, I get this other thing. What is that other thing that these leaders are saying? Maybe I'll give it a shot. I mean, first they they give it a shot because their CEO forces them to give it a shot. Right. And it's not right. it's not only the taking mm -hmm. away the power. You know, the problem is that these people don't trust the teams below them. What what we have to prove is, and with what we always try to prove, when we give some teams more autonomy, autonomy, and let them handle their own objectives and key results or their sub objectives and key results, we have to prove to these higher level people that they can really have great ideas and really deliver great results. Mm. So at the end, you can win them by showing that it, that it, that OKR can deliver great results by alignment, by empowering people. Like a, like another case we have there, half of the C level is not convinced. So in situations like this, where a leadership team needs convincing, how do you convince them? How do you test out OKRs? Can you share an example? 
it's a, it's a company of 150 people all around the globe, a startup, and 30 people from the main departments joined the task force to work on one objective and like five, six, seven key results. And we did that as a test for three months. And people were very skeptical and they said, wow, but they all sit in different countries and a lot of them are not engaged and a lot of them are IT people, they are not interested, blah, blah, blah. And we proved that this task force really created amazing results after three months. And people came up with great ideas. They were very engaged, even beside their normal job. So sometimes you don't have to go full in as an OKR consultant and say, we have to turn around the whole company. Yeah. And we start at company level and everybody has to be aligned. You can also say, let's run OKR for a more projectized team or for more essential team. And we, we can show you how it works the, fir the first three months. And then you can commit and say, yeah, we want that for the whole company or not. But, I mean, you've been there for eight years. Uh, you mentioned KPIs. That's something that most businesses in the world have. And here we are pushing this new three-letter acronym called OKR uh, around the globe. Can you talk through the cultural differences and how that's affecting uh, the way people are thinking about business uh, with the companies that you're working with, specifically, it sounds like startups and mid-sized companies. Yeah, I mean, we have two different types of clients, right? I mean, first, startups, they normally come to us after trying OKR for one year, and then they don't get the change management right. So, for example, they use, instead of 30 40% stretch goals, they use like 5,000% stretch goals, and people get super frustrated, right? So it's like too much on the inspiring side, right? I mean... They read the book, measure what matters, and they try to implement, but they go full in without really educating the people on OKRs, how to write good objectives, key results, how to measure them, and so on. Maybe they even don't use tools. They use, they use uh, spreadsheets. So this is, this is one client, one, one sort of a client. And, but these kind of clients are easy to get on track because they already want to have OKRs. And mm -hmm. the other part of the clients is which the clients which come from a KPI environment and who want to change. So, like I said, uh, somebody in the C-level or even HR, because HR is a little bit the gatekeeper of KPIs in companies. And HR general, generally is always interested in new trainings and in new methodologies. What is a little bit the setback here is the, the component that, from our point of view, OKRs is better on a team bonus perspective than on an individual bonus perspective. And a lot of companies in Vietnam are still very driven on individual bonus achievements. So there's mm. a big issue that uh, companies do not want to change from KPIs to OKRs. But then we advise that you can run both. I mean, you can you can run KPIs in sales and OKRs in, in the others. So it's also, I mean, I don't think OKRs is such an exclusive methodology, by the way. But the other thing is when they come from KPIs, we do not do any stretch goals. Because people in a KPI environment, they always used to achieve 100%. And if they don't mm. achieve 100%, they feel bad about it. So the 70% stretch goal thing doesn't work. And we tell them, okay, you don't have to do it. If you guys want to do 100% without stretch goal, no problem. We can do that. The other cultural dimension, and it's not only in Vietnam, maybe also around the world, depends how rigid the company is before, is really... To bring this new wind in that we say at the beginning of the year, okay, the CEO or the C-level said these 
is a proposal of the five company objective. And now we bring a management workshop together, maybe with 20, 30, 40 people, wider management in mid-sized companies. And they discuss really what are the objectives and key results. And they align with the C-level. And we normally moderate these workshops online or offline in both ways, right? In startups, it's maybe five, six people. In medium-sized company, it can be up to 30, 40 people. And it's very interesting how it takes some quarters until people really are, are brave enough to speak up because they didn't have the culture that the CEO said, oh, I want 20 million by the end of the year. And then somebody said, hey, that's impossible. We can do maximum 15 million, right? They don't have this culture before. They rather took the 20 million as a KPI and then failed, right? Even they knew already it would go there. But in OKR, we have the opportunity to speak up because we, we want an alignment, at least with the wider management. And, and the other thing we did with startups, and we always uh, offer other companies, is to send out anonymous surveys at the beginning of the quarter where we ask for comments and for ratings about the OKRs. And that's, that's helpful in, in, in Southeast Asia or in countries where the culture is not so that you have open feedback in the culture, maybe like in Germany or the U.S., Right. So we, we have to do the feedback a little bit more anonymous, that people don't lose face, that people cannot get attacked. But if people see that this anonymous feedback is taken serious, after a while, people start to speak up into this meeting and calls. And that's really the big cultural change. And it's even surprising the CEO sometimes. They're like, wow, my people are speaking up, right? <laughs> Finally. So you mentioned something that I, I find fascinating because we often hear this as a question. It's always, there's always this confusion or questions around performance and bonuses related to any of these methodologies. Yes. Whereas you, you had mentioned in the KPI universe, it's very individual. Here are your targets, go get them. You do that, you get money. Yeah. And in the OKR realm, there's a lot of, I would say, differing opinions, if you will, about whether or not bonuses or performance evaluation should be married with OKRs. What's your take on that? I mean, we in one of our first companies, we tried to marry OKRs into sales, for example, right? And break it down into sub-sales teams. And then the team got a bonus and in the individual OKRs. When we did that, the OKRs looked exactly like KPIs. <laughs> so... So the fun thing was actually, we, we, we called them OKRs, but they looked exactly like KPI. So the objectives already had numbers and the key results only had sub numbers. Of course, you can, oh. you can say, oh, these are OKRs, blah, blah, blah. But they, they looked exactly like, because it's sales, right? I mean, the objective in mm. sale already, the objective is, of course, you can go like a startup and say, we want to win the market. We want to be the best and not so numerical, but Companies who come from KPI, they will tell you, okay, our sales OKR is 20 million this year, 100% achievable, right? And then you break it down. This team, 5 million, this team, 7 million, this team, 3 million. And then you break it down to individual level. And you can put it in any OKR system in the world like that, but it's still a KPI at the end, right? I mean, it's, it's, mm. it doesn't look different. So our take is very... That we say you have the freedom to run OKRs and KPIs. But if you run OKRs with inspirational objectives and with a team approach to achieve key results, then you should go on team bonuses. 
not on individual bonuses. Because you go in a very difficult discussion, like we have in the task forces or in this project guides organization, I tell you, how many percent who is doing to achieve the key result. You know, that's a, if you don't really go into the tools on individual level, which most of our companies don't do, they go on department and team OKR, so three layers, company, department, and team. Then you really go on a very, I mean, people will start to, to question each other and say, oh, I did this work, you did this work. That's not a team spirit we want. I mean, OKR is about achieving things together, working on things together. We try to avoid this discussion. And if you need individual bonuses, a lot of companies go now on individual bonuses rather value-based than result-based which is another a new angle of employee experience, by the way. So how good do you fit from the values in a company? And how good are you a team player or whatever the company wants you to be from a cultural perspective? Ah, that that's woven into a performance evaluation is, are you demonstrating the company values and to what degree and how? Okay. I saw that you had a blog post on your website, Asia PMO, about, it looks like okra, OKR-A's. Can you share what this is? Because presumably not everyone has read this blog post. I'd like people to understand what you had to say there. And then why did you promote this as an extension of the methodology? We, we come from a project management background. And for us, the main drive on all our topics, project management, experience management, now OKR and HR is always the implementation drive. So we are not a strategy consulting company. We are an implementation consulting company. So for us, the main, the mo most important part is getting things done. Now, OKR from a wording, objective and key result is a planning tool and a tracking tool. But what do you track? You track the actions against the key results and against the objectives, of course. But you need actions. And you, you can have thousands of actions. There's not a... There's not a number like in, in the book that they say maximum five objective and two to four key results. No, actions you can have a lot because OKR is also an agile is a methodology where you are allowed to fail. But it says fail fast, fail hard, right? And that's why we track weekly. So for, our, for us, OKR is a perfect action management tracking methodology. Without actions, OKR doesn't live. Because objective and key results is a planning tool from the, from the management or at least from the wider management. But to achieve the objective and key results, you have to implement the right actions or as many actions as you can. That's why we call it OKRA. So it's objective, key results and action. Yes. It's those four things to make, uh, hopefully, an organization be able to achieve the objectives that, the, as you mentioned, management or wider management has uh, probably proposed to their organization. Yes. Got it. Yes. And that's what, that's what we measure also in the tools, right? I mean, we measure, the question is every week, this is your key result from zero to 70 to zero to hundred. Did you move the needle up or not? And then people, and I do this, I do these sessions with my clients, right? I mean, I have weekly calls with my clients where I show them how to measure after we have the initial setup. And I, I actually, I just come from a call. Right. And then somebody said, oh, in this implementation, we are 50 percent. And then we are asking, why do you think it's 50 percent? What have you done? 
there's always also the difference between, and there I think there are two methodologies in OKR, how you track actions against the key result. There's the very tough agile methodology where you say only when something is done, I go from zero to 100%. Or there is mm -hmm. the work progress methodology when you say I allow to put work progress into the KRs. So today somebody was saying, yeah, we already did the basic for this implementation. So the CEO said, okay, I allow you to put 10% on your KR. Yeah? In other companies, when you do the basic of an implementation, they would put 0%. But the question is also always, what have you done? And these are the actions. Mm. So kind of moving in the direction that you're already headed, which is moving from theory to tactics. Yes. Uh, You'd mentioned the cross-department uh, task force. What was the overall goal of that task force, if you can go into uh, some detail here? And why would you recommend having such teams and maybe even continuing with such teams after the initial pilot, if you will, or the, the test? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the good thing is about task forces or projectized team is you capture more the engaged people in the company and people who normally work already on projects. So they are used to work with people from other departments, yeah? And uh, towards the same goals. So they already have that. And, um, but we, honestly, I have to tell you, we ran yesterday in, a, in an issue with that client because accounting told us, oh, but my people are left out because my people are not projectized people. So that's the disadvantage, actually, of the task force approach. So if you do a departmental approach, if you go to, from company OKRs to departments, you don't leave out the ones with repeating tasks. If you go from company to task forces or to projectized uh, parts, you leave out the people who do uh, rolling tasks in the company, like finance or legal or maybe CS, right? As a start, we would, we would always uh, advise that. So either you start on a company level. So we say, okay, let's define the five company objective and key result. And let's make three months only with the management without displaying it to the, to the lower management and to the staff. So they get used to it. They just collect the statuses from their people like they do before. And we track week by week. Or if you don't want to start with the company uh, OKR because there's a change management involved. And I said a little bit, there's maybe a C-level issue at the beginning. Then we, we, we say start with a projectized team like PMO, like customer experience, like product development, any team which is a little bit more agile, which is a little bit more project and result-based rather than day-to-day -day the same work-based. And then Again, from this team, you can move to other agile teams in your company, or you can really be brave and say, now we go now on a company level and you fully wrote it out. How long does it take to go from a pilot test to prove out the theory to, let's say, a full organization rollout, would you say? I mean, we, we advise normally go layer by layer in a three-month cycle. So let's, the, full, the, the test was a three-month cycle. And normally in a three-month cycle, you should get uh, the first result in a projectized mm -hmm. uh, environment that people work together and achieve something for the company, right? And then uh, the next step with the client was we run, we run it now on a, a company level plus some projects below. And if that works, the next quarter, we go from company to team level. They don't have departments. They are very lean, very lean startup. 
So we go from company to team level. So every layer we advise a quarter. So if you want to go company, department, team, individual, it takes almost a year, I guess. What's your idea of the perfect company to work with? I mean, the perfect company would be that the C-levels has no egos. So every C-level has not is not first concerned to protect the areas and play political games. So people are very open to work together and even share um, their their resources on a budget and staff level. And of course, what I really love in companies when you have a very strong uh, bottom-up communication and a strong impact from all levels. What would you consider is the greatest engagement you've had in the eight years you've been working with your partner as Asia PMO that you've worked with? I mean, one of our customers we are very proud is that um, he was running uh, OKRs for his engineering team, siloed, because the rest of the company didn't want to do OKRs or they tried it, but they didn't do it well. And in the engineering team, it, it, it more or less worked. Right, um, and we helped him to create this him this task force case on a company level, where we run the first task force with thirty people all across the globe, and we really got uh, great results out of that. And then the next quarter, we got a shot on the company and C level out of engineering to run OKRs, and that's that's wow. actually where where we are very proud that because. The, the CTO already had everything in his mind. I mean, we, are, we didn't really teach him new things, but he probably was too much involved in the organization to really make it happen. So as, as an outside company, we really helped him to get the engineering OKRs really cleaned up and done. And then to create this task force as, a, as like a perfect case, like a success case, yeah, to, to have mm-hmm. have numbers and to show results to the top management. And then with this one, we got a shot into the company OKRs. What would you say is the most market characteristic? Like what sets Asia PMO apart? I mean, first we are in Vietnam in Southeast Asia. There are not so many of us here, as we know. Second is that we are very implementation focused. So, of course, we can help you on a strategic level and on the implementation level of OKR. But rather than having a C-level discussing about objective and key results for three months, we want a faster alignment and go very fast on the action stage to prove that we can create results. So, and I think that's that's our key key focus because we have project experience, we have customer experience um, background, where it's also very important to get out of the analysis phase and doing something for the customer, not just talking yeah. about it. And Getting that's, stuff I think, done. Yeah, and that's 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 I think I think the the competitive advantage that we we move our customer fast into the to the action and key result achievement modus. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Again, I've learned a lot. I have a feeling that our listeners are definitely going to pull some really good nuggets and hopefully understand kind of that cultural shift that honestly, I, I don't necessarily think it's isolated to Asia or Southeast Asia. I think there's a lot of parochial business that needs to transform. And I think they can learn a lot from what you had to say and the experiences you've had to date. So thank you so much, Karsten. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jenny. Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com radio. 
If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.